verses on prayer after that, but I'm going to be handling that separately the next time that we're together. Uh, so we'll get to it. It's just not going to be today when we do that. All right? Now, uh, having said that, in just a minute here, I'm going to be reading about our Lord's temptation in Luke chapter 4. But let me preface it with this first of all. I would guess that few of us have ever pictured Jesus Christ wearing uh, the armor of God and what he looks like in the armor of God. And I mean the full armor of God. Even so, I can promise you that he was wearing it uh, when Satan tempted him in the wilderness for 40 days and that he always wears it. And what we're supposed to do is not only have it on, but have it on all the time. You can take some of it off, but that would be a foolish thing to do. And we're going to talk about that this morning as we look. Now, I want to go back to this Luke 4 passage in the history of the text. I want to read what happened to Jesus Christ after his baptism. And this is going to be in the wilderness where the Spirit of God led him to be tempted by the enemy. Part of what happened was Egypt uh, was a place where the children of Israel were. God called his sons Egypt out to be a testimony to the world. They failed. God is going to call his his son Jesus out of Egypt. Uh, Remember, they fled there after he was born. And now it's going to be up to him to withstand the onslaught of Satan and prove himself to be the true son of God and the one through whom everyone will learn the gospel, which Israel was supposed to do and did not do such a very good job. So we're looking at now Luke chapter 4, verse 1. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led around by the Spirit in the wilderness. So this is all done by God himself in the life of Jesus. For 40 days being tempted by the devil. So if you think that it's only the three temptations at the end of this passage, This makes it very clear that he was tempted for the entire 40 days. We're just given a few of them here as that closes. So he uh, he ate nothing during those days, and when when it had ended, uh, he became hungry. And the devil said to him, so he's at his weakest physical condition. The devil comes along to tempt him. And the devil says to him, if you are the son of God, tell tell this stone to become bread. And Jesus answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. And when he led him up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time, and the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and all of its glory, for it has been handed over to me, and I give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship before me, it shall be yours. Jesus answered him, It is written, You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And he led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down from here, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you to guard you. And on on their hands, he goes on, I'm sorry, quoting, And on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus answered and said to him, It is said, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. When the devil had finished every temptation, in other words, everything that he could tempt Jesus with, he left him at an opportune time. And Jesus returned to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and news about him spread throughout 
the surrounding district. A couple of things about that. That was spiritual warfare. That was Jesus resisting the enemy. The enemy knows the word of God, and the enemy was using the word of God. Things that were true out of the word of God, but he was twisting them and trying to get Jesus to do something that goes against another part of the word of God. The word of God must be taken as a whole, and Jesus amply took care of that problem and used scripture uh, to deal with the devil. He also had his armor on, and we're going to be talking about that armor this morning. We will see how all this is true as we study the text before us. Now we're back in Ephesians chapter 6, and I want to read verses 13 through verse 17. So Ephesians chapter 6, starting in verse 13. So Paul says, Therefore, take up the full armor of God, so that you will be able to resist in the evil day, and having done everything to stand firm. Stand firm, therefore, having girded your loins with truth, and having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. In addition to all, taking up the shield of faith with which you will be able to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. Now, we're going to stop there, and we're not going to go on with prayer and petition, which is a part of this, but I want to focus on the actual, what is called the armor of God uh, with us here this morning. So let's go back to verse 13. Therefore, there's a command there, as a result of what I've told you about how the enemy acts in the world, and that would be uh, what we read above, especially verses 10 through 12. Therefore, take up the full armor of God. Since we are in a struggle, not with flesh and blood, but with with spiritual forces of evil, we are to take up the full armor of God. Take up the full armor of God so that, and here's the reason we take it, we will be able to resist in the evil day and having done everything to stand firm. Now, when you think about the spiritual battle, I don't know what you think about. And uh, when he talks about this soldier dressed in this armor, and he's defending his ground, he's standing, he's not being pushed out of it, I just wonder if sometimes we're thinking about, hey, wait a minute, Uh, there's territory that needs to be won, and I need to take that territory, then I need to hold that ground. Well, God is not interested in real estate. God is not interested in a piece of dirt. It's not about uh, holding your ground in terms of, where you are in the world, it's about holding your ground in terms of where you are as a Christian. So we learn in verse 13 that clothed with the full armor of God, we can resist evil in its day and stand unyieldingly. What God is interested in is that you don't give ground to the enemy in your life. And you do that if you are in sin and unrepentant of your sin and you give ground to the enemy. Now, we talked about the full armor of God in our last passage, especially in verse 11. It was introduced, put on the full armor of God. There again, another one of the commands, put it on. Put on the full armor of God. Friends, that's a choice. What is it that I'm really putting on? That's what we're interested in here today. What it means is that we will put on the characteristics of God that are outlined here, leaving none of them out. The complete armor for spiritual warfare is critical for us to survive in the conflict when Satan attacks us as individual Christians and as the church of God, which isn't a building, but is a people. 
It is to win the battle of Satan's fight against your soul and my soul and the souls of our believers around us. For example, righteousness cannot be God's righteousness without God's truth. Many people today claim to be righteous, but they don't know God's truth and they don't follow God's truth. There is no such thing as righteousness without the truth of God. So we're not talking about physical shields and physical swords and physical helmets. We're talking about godliness in every area. Uh, it's easier for us to remember this stuff if we picture the armor, but the, that armor is not what we're really talking about. We're talking about spiritual realities that they just represent. The purpose for having these items exist as a constant part of our makeup as believers. And the purpose it exists is so that in every evil day, and every day is evil, we will be able to stand firmly as believers in Jesus Christ in the conflict. What we do is we resist. And it's hard to resist if you've given something over in your life to sin. That has to be taken care of first. We resist the controlling power and temptations of the evil one, another word for Satan. We stand against and oppose the onslaught of demonic forces in life. The same word to resist is used in a couple other passages in the Bible. Let's look at them together in James chapter 4. First of all, James 4, verse 7. Now this, again, is talking about uh, spiritual warfare. He says, submit therefore to God. You know what? You can't have the armor of God on if you don't submit to God. Uh, you can't have the armor of God on if you're not walking with God. But he says, submit therefore to God. And then you're in the position to resist, notice, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Resist the enemy, and the enemy will flee. How do I resist? Well, if I don't have on righteousness, I put on righteousness. If I'm not walking with God, I, I start walking with God. And those kinds of issues, we'll talk about that as we go. And then look over at 1 Peter chapter 5 and verses 8 and 9, where Peter is talking about spiritual warfare as well. And he says this, Be of sober spirit, in 1 Peter 5, 8. Be of sober spirit. Be on the alert. Your adversary, the devil, uh, which, by the way, is the word in Greek for slanderer, your adversary, that, that great slanderer of God's people, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Here's our word, but resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same experiences of suffering are being accomplished by your brethren who are in the world. In other words, wherever you are, as a Christian, Satan is attacking. And so he wants them to know you resist like other brothers and sisters are resisting around the world because we're all under attack as those who belong to God. We don't resist God-given authority or we're in trouble. But we do resist satanic authority and those authorities were outlined for us uh, in our preceding uh, passage last week in verse 12. We're not fighting blood and flesh but we're fighting, and then he lists the different elevations and authority levels of demonic spirits. <clears throat> and then, having done everything in the armor of God, is a reference to completely putting on the entire spiritual armor that God has for us. We need it all. We can't just put on half of it and, and expect to be protected. Having clothed ourselves in spiritual, the, the spiritual means for warfare, 
we can then stand firm. We stand firm, not by offensive attacks of the, on the enemy, but by not losing ground that the Lord has given us. So what I would like you and I to do at this point is to focus on what ground is God talking about. And I want you to remember the ground God is talking about is you. And we as Christians can give ground to the enemy in our lives, in our flesh, if we fall into sin, if we don't repent. We didn't stand firm. We didn't have the armor on because that's not going to happen if you have the armor on because it means you're living a certain way. But if you fall into sin, then the enemy is going to try to take ground in you. And that's why we talk about taking ground back that we have given to the enemy. Our battle is to maintain our godly uh, position, if you will, in Christ. Now, we don't lose our salvation if we fail in the, in the battle. But what happens is we lose our effectiveness. We, we, uh, we lose that ability to stand against the enemy. The ground that he doesn't want you to lose, the place he wants you to stand firm, is in your own life. And that's going to take uh, not only knowing Christ as Savior, but the armor that he gives us. An example of this is in the area of anger. And we said last time, remember, that Paul in the book of Ephesians is writing an entire book about spiritual warfare. He has been, everything he said has been leading up to this particular passage in chapter 6. But notice how this fits in in chapter 4, verses 26 and 27, where he says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath and thereby give a room or a place to the devil. Uh, that word isn't mean, doesn't necessarily mean opportunity. It means room or place to the devil. So what he's saying is that you as a Christian, if you get angry, which is an emotion, and you decide I'm going to hang on to it, and the only reason to hang on to anger is for revenge, and yet God said in Romans chapter 12, vengeance is mine, I will repay, not you, but you pick it up and you say, you know what, you hurt me, I'm going to hurt you back. That's not the Christian way to go. If that was a temptation of Jesus in the wilderness, uh, Jesus would have quoted to him and say, uh, don't, don't hang on to your temper. The Bible says to deal with it. And so the issue is, be angry and do not sin. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. Take care of your anger. Because if you don't, you're going to give room to the devil in your life. You're going to give room, you're going to give ground to the enemy. And then you're in trouble. And you give ground to the enemy because you're not wearing your armor. And we're still about to talk about what that actually is. So surrendered places in our lives must be taken back by us if we gave it away. This is usually accomplished by first seeking forgiveness for our sin or our wrongdoing and then asking God to help us and remove the enemy. In verse 14, we stand firm having put on God's truth and God's righteousness. Please note that the first statement here, just like in verse 11 and verse 13, is a command. You have the right, if you want to, not to do what Jesus tells you to do. It's not going to go well for you, but you could choose that and I could choose that. The idea is we want to be the kind of people that if God tells us to do something, we're, we're going to do it. So this adds up to living always with your armor on. Living every day, 24 hours a day, with your armor on. It's not really like a suit of armor that a, a warrior would take off at night when he goes to bed. Uh, this is stuff you wear with you all the time. There's no getting up in the morning and praying through the armor of God and saying, today I'm putting on this and putting on that. Uh, you should never have taken it off because of what the armor is. It's things like truth and righteousness and those issues. 
that I take to bed with me, and so do you. We should, anyway. You know what? It says, uh, Peter said, that Satan is a roaring lying, lion looking for someone to devour. Now, I would just be willing to say that you would not be fine leaving church this morning and going out in the parking lot if we had put up a fence around our entire uh, uh, campus here and let uh, three hungry lions loose out in the parking lot, would you? You'd think twice about going outside. Uh, you might hope other people went outside, distract the lions, and you'd run for your car. You know, you would really think about that. I don't want to just walk out there and get attacked by a lion. That's not going to work well. Well, do you think about that every day when the enemy is uh, trying to get control of your life and you go out into the world from your house or even in your house if you're doing things there you shouldn't and that you're opening yourself up to an enemy that wants to tear you spiritually limb from limb? Dr. Harold Honer goes to a lot of effort to indicate uh, that the main weaponry here is mostly defensive and not offensive. Thus, standing our ground is what is primarily in view. And if our ground is ourself and not a piece of dirt somewhere that we're trying to take over, which is, is true, then we need to stand firm in who we are as a Christian in Jesus Christ and not give that up. Not give the enemy a foothold like it talks about in chapter 4. First, we have, we have our loins girded with truth, much like the belt of righteousness that Yahweh God put on. And I want you to see this in Isaiah uh, chapter 11. What I want you to know is that God often pictures himself as wearing this armor of God, the same armor that you and I should have on. And it says about uh, the, the coming righteous one, Jesus, uh, in verse 5, in a predictive way, in Isaiah 11, also righteousness will be the belt about his loins and faithfulness the belt about, uh, I'm sorry, <laughs> the belt about his waist. This is a person dedicated to the truth of God. Opposing arguments for God's truth are not accepted by this person. God's truth is non-negotiable for the Christian. It is reliable it is real, and it is recognizable. That's the truth of God, and the Christian relies on it, takes it as the truth of God, it's real, and he recognizes God's truth, or she recognizes God's truth when they hear it and they see it. That's, that's our, our relationship to the truth. Those who survive enemy attacks are those who know the truth of God and live by it. Satan in, in the wilderness was playing games with Jesus. And he said, well, you know, Jesus, it says in the Old Testament, as if somehow Jesus didn't know what it said, says this, so I want you to do this. And Jesus says, you know what, it also says this over here that has a bearing on what you just said, and if I take what you just said and the way you just meant it, I would sin against God. No. So he brings out the whole truth of God. Sometimes, and this is why Solomon prayed for wisdom when God said, ask whatever you want, it is so hard to tell the difference between what is right and what is evil, what is good, and what is bad. And it takes spiritual discernment to do that. You know where you get that? You study the Word of God. You eat, drink, and sleep the Word of God. You meditate on the Word of God. And you know the Word of God. So when the enemy tells you something like that, you know, uh-uh, that is not the truth. I'm not going that way. If you think for one minute or if I think for one second 
that I know more about the Word of God and can quote it better than some demon somewhere. I have, I have, a, I have n- another report coming my way. I have just had an experience with the Word of God since, uh, well, for 62 years. That's laughable compared to how much Satan and his demons know. It's, it's not that they don't know the Word of God and they use it and they lie about it. It's that sometimes the ones they're working with don't know the Word of God and they get in trouble. They know the Word of God, but they don't do or obey the Word of God. And we have to be better than that. We have to know the truth. Uh, that's why we're here. Then we're to put on righteousness of God and uh, that which he calls us to have. And the issue is not uh, that the breastplate covers our heart. Every part of the believer is to be a slave to the righteousness of God, including his heart, including his mind. When the warrior king Jesus did battle, he also had on righteousness. This time I want you to look at Isaiah 59 for just a minute and see that. Isaiah 59:17, where it says this, He, this is of course talking about Jesus again, He put on righteousness like a breastplate and a helmet of salvation on his head. And he put on garments of vengeance for clothing and wrapped himself with zeal. And he means zeal for God in, as a mantle. Let not the unrighteous believer think that he or she can win in a battle against the foe who is also unrighteous. We do not fight Satan with the weapons of Satan. If somebody uh, does evil to me and I do evil back, I just picked up the army armament of Satan and used evil. That is not going to go well for me. I'm a Christian. I don't choose his weapons. I don't choose slander. I don't choose hatred. I don't choose any of those things that are the weapons of Satan because then I would lose. That's why God gives us weapons of righteousness. We don't want to destroy ourselves by being ignorant and doing what the unbeliever does. You see that when we battle evil, we are preparing to be as God is always. We should always be this way. You and I put on the armor when we trust Christ as our Savior. We work to maintain the righteousness, the truth, the word of God, the sword of the Spirit. We, we maintain that in our life, and we leave that armor on 24 hours, 7 days a week. Verse 15. And having shod your feet with the preparedness of the gospel of peace. Our stance then, in verse 15, our stance is locked into place with our relationship to the gospel that brought us peace with God. I believe what is being asked of us is to have confidence that though we are in a spiritual military conflict, we know that we have peace no matter what happens with the living God. The other aspect of this uh, is likely the fact that in the battle we bring the gospel of peace to our foe, which is the human foe the enemy of God that the enemy uh, of our souls is using uh, to do their deeds, uh, that, that's unsaved people, uh, part of which we used to be. Then we came to Christ. Uh, in Romans 10, 15, if you look at that with me. It says, how will they preach unless they are sent? Just as it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news Uh, of good things. And that's our verse. How beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news of the gospel. What we're doing in the battle is trying to maintain our own spiritual life before God and help other people find spiritual life. 
Some of us have sin in our lives, and we can't get victory over it. And we either refuse to repent of that sin and turn from it, and continue to be worked over by the enemy, or we finally say, God, forgive me of this, and take back the ground I gave to the enemy in my life. Because as long as the enemy has ground in your life, you're going to do the things of the enemy. And they're going to take control of your life if you let them. God wants you to be the kind of person that is ready to go when it is time to share the gospel of Jesus Christ and the gospel of Jesus Christ. He really would like to come from those who are clean vessels, walking with the Savior, and have something to say to this fallen world that they're actually living out. I want you to know that that uh, verse came in Romans. It came from Isaiah uh, chapter 52, verse 7. How lovely on the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who announces peace, and brings good news of happiness, who announces salvation, and who says to Zion, which is Jerusalem, your God reigns. The picture that he paints for us is from the old days when there's a battle going on somewhere. And uh, when the victory is achieved, they send a runner, and the runner is going to go back to the, the capital of the, wherever this army is from, or maybe, uh, in this sense, maybe goes back to David and tells him how it's going in the battle. The watchman on the tower is going to be watching for the runner. And it's a beautiful thing when the runner gets there and says, we've won. And it's not so good when he says, we've been run over and we're defeated. The picture is one running across the hills to bring good news of the victory in the battle. Certainly, it is good news to hear that the gospel has turned an enemy into a friend, an enemy into a brother or a sister. So we stand our ground, we fight the battle, and we reach men and women, boys and girls for Christ. We, of course, are not talking about, uh, we, we, I'm sorry, we, of course, are not talking about demonic enemies, but the unbelievers caught up in the warfare that the enemy is using. Remember, our battle is not against the human being, but the spiritual being. Uh, the human is not our true enemy. They can be one for Christ. Demons can't be one for Christ. There's no salvation for a demonic spirit, but for people there is. And that's what we're here for. That's why we're in the battle. That's why we want to stay free ourselves in the battle. The point here is, when I am in the evil day and we face that evil, do I stand prepared to share the good news or do I fall and therefore lose my right to uh, share it, the good news? Uh, this good news by which I am com comforted and which I want my enemy to come to know because in the battle my eye is not on the human person but on the demonic spirit fueling them. I want to save the human spirit by telling them about Jesus Christ. And then in verse 16, faith is the means by which we reduce the demon's attack to nothing. The Roman infantryman had a shield that was two and a half feet wide, roughly, and four feet high. Uh, because of the cost of shields and the number of them, the majority of them had a wooden shield. And it was covered on the front with canvas, and then that was layered with a good layer of leather on the outside. If the soldier could, if it was possible before the battle that day, they would soak their shield in water. And they would do that so that when the enemy shot flaming arrows or spears on fire and hit their shield, uh, the frontal covering would put out the fire. 
So that's the picture that we get through this. But thank God in the battle, we're not relying on some kind of a wet wooden shield to stop the enemy's arrows toward our hearts. Instead, we have living faith. And that faith is always to be with us. Some of us get shot and we don't use our faith. We get into fear and fear kills faith. God is saying what you need with you always is faith in me. Without faith, we can't do anything. Without faith, we can't win the battle. In, in the counseling office, nothing in there works without faith. It's all faith in God and his abilities. Faith is the victory that overcomes the enemy. 1 John chapter 5 and verse 4 speaks to this. First John 5, 4. For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. Friends, as a Christian, you've been born of God. We overcome this world. And this is the victory that overcomes the world. Our faith. Our faith. See, if I'm going to go to bed at night, I'm, I'm going to take my faith with me. I'm going to take the righteousness of God with me. I'm going to take my salvation with me. I don't give those things up. It's not something I pray to put on every day. I don't ever want to be without it, and I know neither do you ever want to be without it. When unbelievable evil forces surround us and threaten all manner of harm, we repel it not by strength of arm or steadiness of bow, but by faith in the living God who loves us. So it really doesn't matter. Grandma can have on the spiritual armor and be more effective than a 20-year-old if grandma is living with the righteousness and the faith and the truth that is the armor of God and the young person isn't. The enemy tells us we can't believe God. The demons say, you, you can't defeat me. That's what demons say. But the enemy is a liar. The enemy is afraid of our faith and our stand on righteousness. Uh, we read this before. Let me read it again in John 8, 44. Jesus said to those people who were following the enemy in their confrontation against him, you are of your father the devil. They claim to be children of Abraham. Jesus said, no, you're not. You don't, even belong, you don't belong to God. You can't be children of Abraham. You are of your father the devil. You know, Jesus really got right after it once in a while, didn't he? And he told people exactly what they needed to hear. You are of your father the devil, and you want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. Whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Now, Satan, yes, propagates those lies in the lives of unbelievers, but you are his problem. You trying to live for God, that's his problem. That's what Satan's concerned about. Shut you down, and then I don't have to worry about all my followers. That's what Satan says. And Paul has been trying to get us prepared, ready, willing, encouraged to fight this battle. And he's been leading up to this the entire book. And we can see how it all fits in. Faith believes God. Faith leads to trusting in God's word for all that it says, that it's true and righteous. Do you have a demon-inspired mountain to move? Maybe one in your life, a sin that you have not been able to get rid of or uh, just have, have failed at doing so because you listen to the enemy who says, oh, you don't have to do that, you can't do that. I won't let you do that. Matthew 21, 
verse 21 says something about uh, the power of faith. And Jesus answered and said to them, Truly, in other words, you can rely on this, I say to you, if you have faith and do not doubt, you will not only do what is done to the fig tree, but even if you say to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea, it will happen. And the enemy says, no, it won't, because they don't want you to have faith. Faith is the victory. I tell every couple who comes into counseling, nothing in the office works without faith. Do you want the enemy to flee from you? Then believe God. Do what he tells you to do. And finally, in verse 17, convinced our salvation is sure, we use God's word to cut the enemy down, just like Jesus did in Matthew 4 and Luke 4. The helmet of salvation reminds us that we stand firm in our position with God. No demon can take that away from you. You will never be owned by a demon, but you can be demonized by a demon. God owns your soul. They can't indwell your soul. They can't have your soul. Dr. Honer says, likewise, believers' possession of salvation gives them confidence of safeness during the assault of the devil. No matter how much ground you've given, no matter how bad things are in your life, you can still belong to Jesus Christ, and you can fight your way back with the weapons of his righteousness. It is then the firm assurance that we will stand as victors in the last days, if not now, in the eschaton. The days are evil. Uh, isn't that what Paul just said uh, back in verse 16? Making the most of your time. Now remember, he wrote this in the first century. Uh, it's just as bad now in this century. Making the most of your time because the days are evil. We can see in our country with what's happening in our country how Satan is taking over people's hearts and the, the church is becoming the enemy and people are working to shut the church down. And by the way, we're not really that interested in a building, are we? We're interested in your soul and my soul. The true church is you. And that's the most important thing. Satan is sending arrows to burn the church. Not this building, God's people, although they may burn this building. He may win some skirmishes, or skirmishes properly, now and then, but in the end, he is completely defeated, and that happened at the cross, even though he has rights right now. The word take here in this verse is what we call an aorist imperative, which means it's a past time tense and a command. Well, how do you command somebody in the past? That's hard to understand. What it means is the call is urgent. The call is urgent. And take the helmet of salvation. This is urgent. The word of the Spirit of God uh, is the word of God. The word in Greek is rhema. It means especially the spoken word of God. This is what prompted uh, Martin Luther... Uh, the great reformer to proclaim about Satan in a mighty fortress is our God in verse 3 one little word will fail him fell him cut him down chop him down the word of God this reminds us of the great battle at the second coming of Christ in uh, Revelation chapter 19 let me encourage you with those words because it's someday where we're going to be and I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse and he who sat on it is called faithful and true. 
Interesting, we've talked about that in the armor of God, haven't we? And in righteousness, he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many crowns, and he has the name written on him, which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, that's the word of God, so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron, and he treads, down, he treads them down in the winepress of the fierce wrath of God Almighty. God's not afraid of all the demons in the universe. God is not concerned about Satan. Satan is nothing in the path of God. This is what Jesus used at every assault from the devil. And he stuck to the truth. And he used the word of God, which he himself is. So what is it, uh, a few things, that sideline the warriors of God in battle? What is it that can sideline us in the battle? Number one, a failure to take his word as the ultimate truth. You cannot mix the truth of Buddha with the truth of Jesus Christ and have anything left of value. Number two, refusing to live a righteous life, but rather indulging uh, our flesh in spiritual or fleshly unrighteousness. Thirdly, not being firm in the gospel of peace. Maybe not even a true believer, but at least uh, here it could mean a doubting believer, not firm in the truth of God. Fourthly, <clears throat> Bolting, meaning running on God and running to unbelief when the assault of the demons becomes vicious in our life. Fifth, not having the assurance of salvation. In other words, the fifth element in the ranks of God's soldier. You're playing Christian, but you're not Christian. Number six, not relying on the word of scripture from God through our faith. Number seven, not having a life of prayer, which we're going to look at next time. You know, King Jesus always had these things on. He was always truthful, always righteous, always used the word of God, and always was about salvation. So let me bring a few applications to this, along with what we've already talked about. Number one, the absence of these spiritual virtues means you will not be strong as a believer. And you won't stand your ground when the warriors of Satan attack and you'll be given over, and then you're in trouble. If you're there, come ask for help. If you're heading that direction, turn around. Do what God tells us to do with what the armor stands for. Secondly, the spiritual armor is available to every believer for spiritual battle. The choice to have it is yours. You have to choose righteousness. You have to choose the truth, and so on and so forth. It isn't something you purchase at the armory. This comes from God himself. Thirdly, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Give way to the devil and do what he wants and you're going to be given over to his control. I have seen many demons run from believers in warfare because they decided to stand firm in faith, repent of their sin, and move forward with God. I wanted to end with what I think is a very encouraging uh, all the psalms are encouraging, I don't mean that, but the words of Psalm 124. This can be thought of in the sense 
of a spiritual onslaught against God's people. Had it not been for Yahweh, who was on our side, let Israel now say, had it not been Yahweh, who was on our side, when men rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us alive. When their anger was kindled against us, then the waters would have engulfed us, the stream would have swept over our soul, then the raging waters would have swept over our soul. He's describing what's being taught in Psalm 32. You can look at that later. Blessed be Yahweh, who has not given us to be torn by their teeth. Our soul has escaped as a bird out of the snare of the trapper. That's a, that's a reference, I think, to Psalm 91, where the, the snare and the trapper is Satan. The snare is broken, and we have escaped. Sorry, my voice is getting drier here. I'll, I'll make it. Our help is in the name of Yahweh, who made heaven and earth. Satan and demons didn't make anything. They're not in control. Jesus has defeated them. He wants us to put this armor of God on so we can defeat them every day. Let's pray together. We want to thank you, gracious Heavenly Father, for giving us the spiritual means by which to fight spiritual battle. We had the kids illustrate what those things were uh, with a graphic illustration, swords and spears and helmets and belts, but we know that what is really the armor of God has to do with things like righteousness and salvation and truth and the gospel of peace and faith. And so, Father, I pray that we would be those kinds of people and that we would have that with us all the time as a part of who we are in you and that we would nurture it, cherish it, and make sure it stays where it needs to stay. And I ask this for us so that we can stand firm in the battle. Who knows how rough it's going to get in America for Christians in the days to come. We ask for your mercy, we pray for your grace, and we ask that you would help us to fight the battle that we can bring the gospel of peace to the people who need to know who Jesus is. We ask it in your precious and holy name. Amen. You would please stand and open your hymnal to number 247. We will close by singing Spirit of the Living God.
your heads and receive the benediction. And now may the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. Amen.